Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hi, my name's Dave Thomas. My wife Sharon and I have been members here for going on six years. I had to look that up uh, just to be sure. And uh, we are, or I am one of the uh, members of the board here. We are journey group leaders and we're lead a C group. You know, one of the things when we came to Christian life, we were looking for a church that had a community of people that were authentic. And we we're so thankful we found that here. What is authentic? To us, that means a people committed to serving Jesus Christ, open, honest, praying for each other, and helping each other in practical ways. You know, we are blessed that we have a pastor, Ron and Carrie, that model that for us, a pastoral leadership that models that, and you, the members, that model that. So on behalf of Sharon and I, thank you for helping us to be part of this church. And one other thing, to us, this is what the early church in Acts is described as. A community of people living life together in authentic relationship, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not only just Sharon and I, that's you here, all of us here. All right, well, if you'll stand with me, let's go ahead and read the key verses for today. We're going to be reading Acts 7, 54, through chapter 8, verse 4. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church on Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now let's say together as a church body this declaration a response to the word of God. This is my Bible. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will believe every word. I will claim every promise. I will live by every command. Amen. All right, thank you, Dave. All right, praise God. Come on, everybody. Don't you love the word of God? 
appreciate Dave sharing his heart with us today. Also want to address a couple of, uh, a few people that are in the church today. This is the first um, Sunday that the rising sixth, sixth grade uh, students have graduated from children's ministry in the back, and they're in with us today listening to the Word of God preach. So let's welcome them, all of our young guys. Uh, so what a powerful story in the book of Acts. If you are just new uh, to Christian life, maybe this is your first Sunday, we started a summer series of teaching methodically through the book of Acts, and this will be the third week that we have done this, and we also have a little uh, book of Acts uh, workbook for you, and uh, hopefully you brought your workbook with you, and uh, some of you are taking notes as a place to write down key verses, key passages, which he just read, and uh, our key context, and then you know, you can uh, follow along and keep notes. Now, last week, uh, Landon covered for us um, the happenings all the way up to the end of chapter 5, kind of beginning in chapter 6. Uh, it's difficult to take a 30 or 40-minute teaching and, um, and go uh, exhaustively through the book of Acts. So what we are, what are, we are planning to do is to highlight the events that are covered in a group of chapters and then try to make some good application because the book of Acts is like, I consider it to be a model for the modern day church and we're so far away from it, we need to get back to the original. I think what we see is God's original intent as he was establishing the New Testament church in the book of Acts. There are some things that are unique to the book of Acts. I'll admit to that, that because God was just birthing the church and there was a, a special anointing for many things that happened, but the same anointing because that was, that was upon them by the Spirit is the same anointing that dwells in us, the church, by the Spirit of God also. And today what I want to do is just begin to highlight um, some happenings between chapter 6 and chapter 12. Now, in those chapters, one of the things that you're going to find really quickly is that God is, um, well, he's moving or advancing the early church forward rapidly. And so, the work of spreading the gospel, remember what Jesus said to them, that you shall receive the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's kind of like a, a, a big macro outline for the book of Acts. This is what I'm going to do through you. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to dwell in you. He's going to empower you. He's going to ignite you. And you will establish the, the kingdom of, of Jesus in Jerusalem. But it's not going to contain it. It's going to go to Judea. Then it's going to go to Samaria. And you're going to take it there. And then it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And so this is kind of what the book of Acts is, is all about. And so, as Dave just read, when Stephen was the first a believer that gave his life for the cause, he was stoned in the streets and died. And then there was a wave of per persecution that swept over the believers in Jerusalem. And I, want to I just want to show you a map so you can kind of see what Jesus was talking about when he said, I want, you to, I want the movement of the, of the kingdom to advance. So here's Jerusalem, okay? 
if you j just take a good look at this map, everybody, because this uh, Judea is like a big state. So Jesus said, you're going to start in Jerusalem. Happened on the day of Pentecost, that big festival, right? The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And from chapters 1 all the way to the par a part of chapter 6, everything is happening in the city of Jerusalem. And then when this wave of persecution happened, they were scared, and so they scattered. They were scattered, but their lives weren't shattered. In fact, it says when they scattered, they just took Jesus and they started preaching him everywhere. So they started preaching all outside of the city around Jerusalem, and then they began to advance up into Samaria. We're going to cover some of this ground today what happened in Judea, what happened in Samaria, and, and then the kingdom of, it really moves forward until we are introduced to the Apostle Paul, and then it goes to the ends of the earth. He becomes the great missionary uh, to, the, to the Gentiles. And so Luke kind of gives us a report, a progress report. He does this throughout the, the, the book. So he will, this is the way that Luke, by the Spirit, wrote the book, is that he would pick out several events or stories or people, and he would introduce us to them. This is who they are. This is what they did. And, and then he explains to us why he tells the story. And that's why I'm kind of focusing on, Landon and I both are kind of focusing on, okay, the who, what, and why. The why is important. We need to know the why because if there's a why that God is doing something, that he probably wants to do it in our day too in the same way because this is the model for us as a church. Okay, so are you, are you, you guys okay with this? This is fun. We're teaching the Bible. We're teaching the Bible. We're teaching the Bible. The Bible that you believe every word. Come on, everybody. That you claim every promise and that you obey every command. Say that with me. I will believe every word. Claim every promise. Obey every command. Come on. That's, that's our commitment to the Word of God. And so he gives us this progress report, Landon mentioned it a little bit last week, where the, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are added to the church, and then they have a massive challenge on their hands because uh, some people are hostile to the name of Jesus, and others are in love with the name of Jesus, and families and households are divided. Some people are kicked out of their house, the, those that that hate the name of Jesus or fighting against those who love the name of Jesus. And, and so the church became the family. It's like Dave was talking about it. This authentic move of God put people into families. And now they're, they're feeding them, they're clothing them, they're sheltering them, and they're sharing one another's uh, finances to help the cause. And it says in Acts 2.47 that the, the people in the early church, they were having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were getting saved. They had, th this is kind of crazy, but they had favor in the city of Jerusalem that, with all people. Well, that favor didn't last very long. They had it for a little while. But in chapter 4, we're told that there's like another 5,000 men that, that, that the, come into the kingdom. L listen, everybody, listen to this. So within a matter of days... Jerusalem exploded with the kingdom of Jesus. 3,000 on one day, another 5,000, and, and Luke is just naming men. Another 5,000 men were added, it says. 
If you add women and children, there's probably well over 10,000 people. That's a conservative number that have come to Christ after the day of Pentecost. We're talking about an explosive impact the city, turn things upside down. Because the risen Jesus now is living through these new believers. Now think about it this way. Most estimates uh, in history say that the population of the city of Jerusalem during that time was about 40 to 50,000. Let's just say it's 40,000. On the day of Pentecost, it would swell up to 150,000 because it was a pilgrimage event and they would come and they would celebrate. And so Jerusalem was a hub. It was really a hub. This is, it's called the Holy City, and it was called the Holy City for a reason. And people would come to this city, and, and then they would leave. Well, after the festival and left, the church is reaching, the apostles are reaching all these people, the church is birthed. And in a city of about 40 to 50,000, think about this, let's say 12 or 15,000 people all of a sudden are crazy about Jesus. I mean, if you're thinking about 25% of a city now instantly is impacted by the name of Jesus, a buzz is not even the word. It's not accurate. It wasn't a buzz. It was, it was, it was buzzing, everybody. And so the city is impacted because Jesus, risen Jesus, whom they thought they dead, was dead, is alive. So the religious leaders who are losing control of the religious environment, they began to oppose the apostles. And so they arrested them, they threatened them, then they arrested them again, and they beat them, and then they sent them, and the power of God's healing people and all this kind of stuff is happening. It's just kind of crazy. And then you come to this progress report in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. It says of the apostles that they left the presence of the Sanhedrin council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from the house to house, and every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Powerful, man. In the houses, at the temple courts, thousands of people are preaching the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was promised. It's Jesus. We didn't believe it, but now we do. And they were on fire. And so the ministry thus far had been limited to, to Jerusalem. And it was primarily happening through the apostles, but that was about to change. Because you remember the vision that Jesus gave them is that you're going to start here and you're going, to span, you're, going to, you're going to fan out into Judea and then into Samaria and then into the uttermost parts or the ends of the earth is where you're going to take this gospel. So the rapid growth forced the apostles to expand the leadership team. And we find this in Acts chapter 6 when they found seven men that were full of the Holy Spirit and they commissioned them to become deacons. They were to wait on tables because there were needs that were happening that weren't being met. And there was a bunch of complaining that Landon talked about it. It was kind of messy. They had the church problems. The whole New Testament is about church problems. You try to find a church that don't have problems, you're just not going to find one. Churches have problems. Because the church is filled with people who have problems. Unless, unless at this church we're special and we have a whole bunch of people that never have any problems. Anybody in this church never have a problem? 
I didn't think so. So we have problems. So we're always addressing problems. That's why leadership, we have to find people that will serve, that are anointed to serve, that can lead, that can help people solve problems and work through relational stuff. And so it says in Acts chapter 1, in those days, the number of disciples was increasing. You see that, everybody? In those days, the number of disciples were increasing. Now, let me just say this to you. When Luke is is writing the book of Acts, sometimes he calls the converts believers, and then sometimes he calls them disciples. I love here that he says the number of disciples was increasing because there's a difference between just being a believer and being a disciple. And so we, I believe this so strongly that we have dedicated years and years and money and lots of effort into helping people understand that God wants to move you from just being a believer who's on, their, on his way to heaven to being a disciple who's helping others get their, get, find their way to heaven. Let me say it to you this way. Believers go to heaven, but disciples, they know how to build the kingdom. And so this is God's method of kingdom building uh, is to make disciples who are disciple makers. And I'm just going to say this. I'm not trying to be a grumpy old preacher, but I'm just going to say in America, we have churches that are filled with believers who believe that Jesus has saved them and they're on their way to heaven, but they're not engaged as a disciple or they're definitely not engaged in disciple making. And so this is the reason why we have, you know, a full year series called the Journey Discipleship Experience where we try to link up men with good mentoring men and women with good mentoring women and we take you through a progressive step from salvation to being active in your ministry, learning what it means to be a disciple. In fact, those of you that are in a journey, you know what I'm preaching already because you don't watch me and heard me say it over and over on video. But here's what a disciple is. A a disciple is a born-again follower of Jesus who is learning to live the life Jesus lived while teaching others to do the same. This is what a disciple is. And, And Luke is saying, in those days, the number of disciples, people that were receiving the teaching and training from the apostles and learning to live the way Jesus wanted them to live. And then they're inviting and preaching and scattering. I mean, all those that are scattered abroad are inviting and preaching and bringing people into the kingdom. Disciple making. I want to challenge you to move from just being a believer who feels secure about your salvation into your discipleship. Learning to live obediently. And I love what it says about that early church. It says, he gives another progress report in Acts chapter 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. I read one estimate there were as many as 10,000 priests that were in this city. So this is a large, very religious city. And these, and these priests kind of controlled the religious environment. Well, the, the priests are coming to Jesus, and they're walking in obedience. This is why persecution just all of a sudden exploded. Because the religious leaders that controlled the spiritual environment knew that they were losing their grip. And that Jesus, whom they killed and they tried to silence, is now erupting. That message is erupting through all of the disciples. And so, 
as you keep reading through, we find that in the next couple of chapters, Luke in the book of Acts introduces us to three people. He actually introduces us to more, but I'm going to point out three today. I, these, these people, I believe, are the, are, well, God raised them up to be movement makers, to take this, advance this kingdom and move them forward. Stephen, who uh, Dave just read about, the first martyr. Philip, who became the first evangelist into Samaria, answering the call. He got scattered into Samaria, so he started preaching. And then Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. The second half of the entire book of Acts really is dominated by the ministry that's of the Holy Spirit as it flows through the Apostle Paul, who was the number one terrorist of the early church, but Jesus got his eyes on him and said, I'm going to transform him and he's going to be a champion for me. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer, but he will take the, the gospel to the kingdom, okay? So I see a bunch of you writing those down. These are our three, would you put it back up for me, guys? This is the three important movement makers. Now, I want to just point something out here because these were the first three non-apostles that we see operating with signs and wonders and teaching and confronting and disciple making. This is really important because everybody's a minister. And if God, if Jesus was going to accomplish what he intended to accomplish, it wasn't just going to happen through the original 12. Well, the original 11 plus one, right, everybody? It was going to happen through just the members of the church. So these are the, 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 particularly Stephen and Philip, they're kind of ordinary people. They were both, Stephen and Philip were first, were two of the first seven deacons, servants that were called to, to wait tables, to serve tables. And so let's talk about these three stories for just a few moments. I want to give you some highlights. Of course, we won't cover the whole story of the Apostle Paul, but I want to give you some highlights from these three stories, that, and we're going to find out why did Lucas tell us, Luke tell us about it. And then at the end, maybe I'll just give you some practical things, okay? Y'all good with this? All right, so let's talk about Stephen for a minute. Now, Luke dedicates quite a lot of space in this book, in the book of Acts, because this story is so important. In fact, two chapters are dedicated to this man, and he is, like I said a moment ago, the first non-apostle to whom miracles are ascribed. Uh, As well, he is the first non-apostle who has a sermon or a teaching that's recorded in the book of Acts. In fact, get this, everybody. This is the longest speech recorded in the book of Acts, and it, wasn't, it was longer than Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And Luke dedicated almost an entire chapter, so many verses, to Stephen's sermon. And so he is a model for us, because not all of us are apostles that are in this room, right? So we're ordinary servants. In fact, many of you are serving a small group or working in the health ministry or the care ministry, visiting people in the hospital. If, if we need tables set up, we make a phone call and all of the Stephen type people show up. All the Stephen servers show up and then many of you are like this. But he was more than that because he had caught fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. He had been ignited and what he saw the apostles doing, he had faith to do it too. 
So he's defending the faith and he's preaching and he's laying hands on the sick and he's, he's praying for people and people are getting healed and miracles and signs are happening through Stephen. And so I want you to see this as a model. He was the first servant. He was one of the managers of food distribution in the early church. But it also says of him in Acts 6, 8, that Stephen was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. It says in verse 9 that when the opposition came and they began to question him that they tried to argue with Stephen. Verse 10 says, but they couldn't stand up against the wisdom of the spirit that God gave him to speak. So he's just being obedient to the Holy Spirit and God's giving him wisdom. Some of you think, well, I, you know what? I'm not going to debate Christianity. I don't feel like I, that I'm equipped. You know what? It's time for you to overcome your passive, intimidating uh, spirit of intimidation. God has called us to be alive in this day and to confront the enemies of the cross in this day. And God has called us to be used for signs and wonders in this day. I want to encourage you that if the ordinary guys in that day could see God move through them, then the ordinary men and women of this day can do the same. That's a very weak, low amen. That, that wasn't an amen with conviction. That wasn't a, yeah, pastor, I got it. I just want to, I want the book of Acts to spark us into really the passion for the advancement of the kingdom of God and to find our place to move us from believers on our way to heaven to disciples who are disciple makers for the Lord. It's what I wanted. It's what I want to happen more than anything else. And he was full of grace, wisdom, and power. Grace, wisdom, and power. Say that with me, everybody. Grace, wisdom, and power. Come on, say it again. Grace, wisdom, and power. You know what? It means he wasn't a jerk. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't haughty. He was a gracious man. He was a grace-filled man. But he had wisdom. And that wisdom came from the Spirit of God. And the Spirit gives wisdom to those who ask and pray for it. And he was full of power. It doesn't mean that he had power. It meant that because the Holy Spirit was in his life, he was filled with the Spirit, he had access to the power. And when God wanted to move through signs and wonders, all he had to do was be a vessel. Is anybody listening to me? All we got to do is be the vessel for the Holy Spirit. But if you're not willing to be the vessel, then you say, well, I don't know why we don't see power. We don't see signs and wonders. Because we're not being the vessel that God wants to use. Give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to flow through you. You say, well, I, 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 I kind of do. Well, when is the last time you prayed for somebody in the job or in the neighborhood or went to the hospital and laid hands on somebody and said, you know, I want to pray this healing, pray for you for a healing? Well, I just don't know that God's called me to do that. He's called all of us to do that. We're all called to pray for the sick and the needy. And so, so Stephen is, he's, he's managing the tables during the day and no doubt building a team to do it because there are thousands. And then at the temple courts, he's preaching Jesus and he's praying for the sick. This is a kingdom man. This is what a kingdom model should look like. I'm serving. I'm blessing. I'm gracious. I got wisdom, but I also believe in the power of God. And God's using him. 
Well, because God is moving so powerfully, uh, there is a, a bunch of the religious guys, they convince some people to lie about him. And so they lie about him and they, pers- they persuade some men to say that he is blaspheming Moses and he is attacking the temple. And so they just exaggerated what he was teaching. He was teaching that Moses was a type of Jesus, that he was a prophet like Jesus, but the Messiah is Christ, not Moses. He was, he was teaching also that the temple of God that used to, where God used to dwell in the temple made by hands, he doesn't do that any longer. Now he, he's te- we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he's teaching these things. And so when they arrested Stephen, they brought him before Caiaphas. Now, this is probably most likely the same high priest that had Jesus arrested, that accused Jesus, made accusation, and had Jesus crucified. It's the same high priest that was sitting in authority that just confronted the other apostles, and now they've drugged Stephen before this guy and they, after they arrested him, and then Stephen confronts the high priest and this council because of their dead faith. And I'm going to throw something on the screen here because I just want you to see this because I'm in teaching mode. Y'all know my style. I kind of preach, I kind of teach. Okay? So if I get preachy, that doesn't mean you can't receive some teaching. And if I got teaching, start teaching. It doesn't mean don't start yelling at me and I just want you to preach. I want to teach you the Word of God. Here's the five major themes of Stephen's speech. You can write it down, or you can real quickly in your notes, or you can take a picture of it, but I want you to see this. But these are the five things that he said. Number one, he confronted the Jews because they always reject God's leaders. Number two, he said that God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He dwells in the the new temple, which is the church. Number three, he said that God's grace through Christ transcends the law of Moses, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, right? So, he, so that's what he's teaching. Jesus is greater than Moses. He also taught, said, he confronted him and said, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit and you're really resisting him now. And then, this is the last thing that sent him into a fit of rage. Little old Stephen stands up and says, you always reject the prophets, and you just murdered the Messiah. And they went nuts. And they drug him out, and they stoned him. And, and I, I, I want you to see something, because they've read it. Before they stoned him, before he died, it was like God was so gracious to him, and he pulled back a curtain— And he saw into a heavenly dimension, and he saw Jesus standing. I tell you what, I just got chill bumps all over me just thinking about this right now. Sorry, but man, that is powerful. I want to remind you, Luke, in Luke's gospel, he recorded Jesus saying this to his disciples. In Luke chapter 12, verse 8, he said, If anyone acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I, the Son of Man, will openly acknowledge that person in the presence of God's angels. Glory to God. I say glory to God. And so here's this little ordinary guy full of the Holy Ghost that's been waiting on tables. Gets drugged in front of the most powerful man 
on the planet in their minds. The highest of the high priests. And this guy's about to kill him. And Stephen holds his ground. And he says, Jesus is the Messiah. And you've rejected him and you've murdered him. And when he looked up, he proclaimed, and I see him right now. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Glory to God. And they killed him on that day. And a great wave of persecution erupted in the city. That city of about 40, 50,000 people. There was an, it unleashed an attack. Stephen's sermon unleashed an attack. And, and it scattered the believers. They were scared and scattered. I'm just, I'm, I mean... They ran because they were scared for their lives, so they're running, they're leaving, but they weren't shattered. Their faith was not shattered. And this was, God, this, was, this was God's plan. I've got to move them out of the city because they have an anointing to take this message to the ends of the earth, and they got to, they got to get in the surrounding areas. And so God starts operating in all of these areas. And and this is, this is an important fact, everybody get this. One of the major themes in the book of Acts is, is the growth of God's kingdom and the expansive reach of God's word through intense persecution or opposition. It's like, it's like the Lord used that. I'm just going to tell you some of the most dynamic and powerful and healthy regions where there are churches existing today around the world where they're seeing incredible signs and wonders are areas where there is intense persecution. Because they have no choice except to be bold for their faith, and there's no middle ground. They're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in many ways just to survive. And so this was God's plan. Let me show you something. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we read it again ago. Dave read it. It says that Saul was one of the witnesses there, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And that's when the wave of persecution began that day. And it swept over the church of Jerusalem, and all believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Okay, this is what Jesus said do. Go to Judea and Samaria. And some devout men, they came and they buried Stephen with great mourning. I mean, it was a huge loss. It inspired these, these believers to step up to the call of God, to live up to that kind of devotion. They were willing to lay their lives down, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. And he went from house to house, look, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. I, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this, ladies, because in a male-dominated world, spirit-filled women were a threat to the religious and the secular world. And, the, and, the, and, the, and Luke makes sure that people understand this. In fact, there were prominent women that were part of the scatter, that were taking the gospel all over Judea and Samaria. And through persecution, the kingdom has left the city. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's amazing what just happened. They were scattered but not shattered. Now, Philip's story. 
This begins in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Are you challenged by that? I kind of am. There's a lot of places I go, and I find myself just wanting to be on vacation, don't want to be bothered by this Jesus thing. I'm just saying, but when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you might as well get ready because there is no vacation from the kingdom of God. Needs just show up everywhere. Well, that was weak. You can give God glory. There's no vacation from the kingdom of God. There's just a calling. Philip, it says, verse 5, but Philip, for example, went to to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. And crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Look, it says a lot of evil spirits were cast out and they went screaming out of their victims. And many uh, who had been paralyzed and lame were healed so that there was great joy in the city. It's incredible. So here's another deacon that got scattered, ran out of the city, and now God's just using him. And miracles are taking place. It's, it's pretty amazing. They've gone from Jerusalem to Judea, and Philip is the first person that all of a sudden is igniting the fire and preaching the gospel in Samaria. And verse 12 says, The people believe Philip's message of good news, the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Come to verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As they arrived, look, look at this, everybody. The first thing they did when they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, for they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon the, these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So the same thing that happened on Pentecost in Jerusalem, now it's happening in the city of Samaria to the half-breed Jews that Jews didn't even think, the Jews didn't even think they were God's covenant people any longer. And they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say, another overriding theme throughout the book of Acts is the relationship of new believers with the power of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The apostles were committed to making sure that the believers had an experience beyond salvation with the power of the Holy Spirit and and a baptism of the Holy Spirit, an infilling of the Holy Spirit. I'll show you this as as it moves on. Now, this was a crucial moment, everybody, because because the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church depended, they were now being confronted with, is, is this Christianity thing, is this just for us Jews? Well, Jesus said it was for the Samaritans and also for the Gentiles. And I want you to see that what happened here, in fact, it's very ironic. When you talk about the power of the Holy Spirit to change a person's life, I know when I got saved, I kind of struggled with a lot of sinful stuff. But when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, my life just completely changed. There was this impartation of power to overcome a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to just tell you. And it's so ironic because in, in Luke chapter 9... Jesus was traveling with his 12 disciples from city to city, and they went into a village in Samaria, 
And he had sent his disciples ahead of them and said, go into that city and tell them to prepare lunch that I'm coming, me and my disciples are coming. And they went into the city and they asked him to prepare lunch, find a place to stay. And they rejected the Lord's disciples and said, no, we don't want him in the city. Y'all get out of here. Well, James and John, do you remember this story? James and John got so mad, they came back and they said, they have the audacity of those people. They were so mad. John, James, they said, Lord, if you just give us the power right now, we'll go back to that village and we will call down fire upon them. Does anybody remember this story? Jesus rebuked them. He's like, look, come on. No, we're not calling fire down on people we're trying to reach. How ironic is it that once John gets filled with the Holy Spirit, it is he who wanted to call down fire and kill him, that now the Holy Spirit sent to that same city, and he did call down fire, but it was the fire of the Holy Ghost that transformed the people's lives and and brought the gospel and the kingdom to the cities in Samaria. In fact, if you keep reading... It says John and Peter, they were so amazed because God gave the Samaritans the same thing that he gave them on the day of Pentecost. And when on their way back to Jerusalem, they just decided, hey, let's hit up some other Samaritan villages. And so they're preaching all through Samaria, and they're answering the assignment. They're answering the call that you, once you get filled with the Spirit, will take this gospel, this kingdom, to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and now the gospel is just spreading like a wildfire. How powerful is that, everybody? Can I just tell you that sometimes God just asks you to do things that you don't want to do, and then he shows up, and there's so much grace in it, you're like, why was I being so mean and ugly and stiff-necked? We need to be people like Stephen that are gracious, wise, and powerful. Can somebody say amen? So, Philip, he's ministering to crowds, and massive numbers of people are coming to the kingdom of God, and now the apostles have joined him in this outreach to Samaria. And in the middle of all this, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go. And if you read it in Acts chapter 8, he sent him... Uh, down the road and there's a man in a chariot and the spirit says go join yourself to that chariot actually the angel of the Lord said go join yourself to that chariot when he gets up close to the chariot there's this guy from Ethiopia and he's reading Isaiah he didn't understand it and so Philip I don't I don't know I just kind of show you this because it's so amazing to me this is the way God is God if we would just obey the leading of the Holy Spirit he knows what he's doing I would think oh don't leave Don't leave the thousands to go after the one. But God directed him to leave the thousands to go after this one. And he climbs up in the chariot with the dude. And this is a eunuch. This is a guy that is, he is the number one assistant to the queen of Ethiopia. He handles all of her money, all of her treasure. He's pretty close to her. He handles everything. He gets up there, he shares Jesus. The dude becomes a believer and says, can we get baptized? And so they found a little puddle, a mud puddle. And the dude says, can you pull the chariot over and go baptize me? He gets baptized. Philip leads him to the Lord. You know what happened? It opened up all of Ethiopia. So now you got the gospel has left the city, gone to Judea, now Samaria. Now because of this one most influential person the Holy Spirit directed him to, he's bringing the gospel back to the queen's palace, and all of Ethiopia now is exposed to the risen Jesus. How about that, everybody? 
craziness. That one person that God's burdened you for, that one person that gets on your nerves, but you still feel like God wants you to spend time with them, that one person you've been investing years and years, don't you dare give up because this may be God's assignment for you and you don't know the results of it. The book of Acts was written to show us the ongoing work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through his church. That's the title in your workbook. This is the purpose for the book of Acts. Jesus is still working, and it's by the Holy Spirit and through his church. And that's why when we come to Saul of Tarsus, the story of Saul of Tarsus, you know, he's the terrorist. He's, he's dragging out men and women. And he goes to, he goes to Caiaphas, and he says, I want you to give me authority, give me a letter from you that I can take with me to Damascus because I hear the gospel is spread to Damascus. Hey, put that map back on. Let me show you something. Damascus ain't even on the map, but I want to show you something. Damascus is up here. Okay? Damas the, the gospel is now spread all the way up here into Syria, and Damascus is up there. And so Paul's going way off the grid. 150 miles. I think it's like that far, he's going all, way off the grid up here because he's got to go, he's going to go and arrest, he's got to, he's trying to stop the message of Jesus from spreading outside of Palestine. So he's dragging people out. And on his way to Damascus, Jesus shows up. Somebody says it was a bright light. That light was Christ. Jesus shows up to Saul of Tarsus, knocked him down. And and, and Saul is blinded by this light, and he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus speaks to him. I don't, this is crazy. This is like, this, I just told you that the book of Acts is the ongoing work of Jesus through the Spirit, by the Spirit through the church. And so here we see the risen Jesus is so tuned in to what's happening, and that he reveals himself to Saul, who becomes blinded, Submits and surrenders to the voice. Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He followed, it, the Bible says that the men that were around him, the book of Acts says the men that were around him, they heard the voice, but they freaked out because they didn't see anybody. But they heard a voice. So when he got up, they grabbed him by the hand and they took him wherever he wanted to go. God was simultaneously preparing the church to receive Saul of Tarsus. He's converted. It's pretty amazing, everybody. I'm, the story here is just amazing. It's, you find it in Acts chapter 1 through verse 9. But the transformation was powerful and undeniable. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. But I want you to see several things. The qualifications of the Apostle Paul were just amazing because he was a trained Pharisee. He was... He was from Tarsus, which is kind of in a, a Greek area. So he was acquainted with the Greek culture. He was a citizen of Rome. He had dual citizenship. And he had a trade. All the wannabe Christian, um, I mean, ministry people, I want you to hear the Apostle Paul worked with his hands. He never raised money. People gave, but he never raised, he never begged anybody for money. He just said, I'll go build some tents and I'll keep preaching the gospel. So he could go anywhere he wanted to and or anywhere the Lord led him and he could take care of his own needs. 
He went to arrest Christians and he ended up being arrested by Christ. He sought to silence the message of Christ and he ended up being, devoting his whole life to proclaiming the message that Jesus really is the Messiah. Never met him in person, just saw him in his glorified self. Crazy. He went from being the top persecutor to the persecuted one. He once despised the apostles in Jerusalem if he could have just killed these powerful men. And when they tried to kill him in Damascus, he fled and he went all the way to Jerusalem. He's like, I got I to gotta go talk to Peter and John. I got to go talk to these other guys. Something has happened. They wouldn't see him. <laughs> like, you ain't lying to us. You think we're stupid? No, you ain't coming in this door. And so he's hanging out trying to, trying to get a visit with the apostles to tell them what, what Jesus has done. And meanwhile, he's still preaching. Paul is preaching, and they're looking at the Jews. are like, isn't this the guy that was trying to kill people because of that name? Finally, there's this, we're introduced to a guy named Barnabas, the most amazing man in the book of Acts. And Barnabas believed what God was doing through Apostle Paul, and he was the liaison. He went and said, look, dudes, y'all are being fearful, you bunch of chickens. Open up your door. I, you need to meet Paul. What, look what God has done. And they put together, and it says, I love this, in, in Acts 9, 29, so Saul stayed with the apostles, and he went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And here's my last verse for today. Acts 31, it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Samaria, I'm, I'm sorry, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Landon said it last week, every time Luke gives us a progress report, it's always multiplication. It's just growing and growing. And so when Saul got saved and he hooked up with the apostles, the whole religious Jewish system, they were stunned. They didn't know what to do. And so they backed off for a period of time. And they're like, we got to figure this out. Because all these priests were coming to Jesus and now Saul of Tarsus, our number one terrorist, he's converted, and he's a fanatic. He's a Jesus freak and going everywhere. And so everything shut down for a period of time, and there was peace. Now, what do we learn from these stories? Here's number one, everybody, and you might want to write these down in your notebook. Number one, we learn that God can redeem anybody and he wants to use everybody. And you might just shrug your shoulders at me and say, okay, that's, pretty, that's not very profound, but I, I think if we really believe this, then we, uh, we would act towards our enemies a little bit differently. If we really believe that God can redeem anybody and he can use everybody, then my number one terrorist should be a target for the love of Jesus to flow out of me to them. Because if God can use anybody, that means he can use me. 
to help them come to Christ. It's not by coincidence that God chose the number one enemy of the church, that Jesus, the risen Jesus, in the book of Acts, went directly to him and transformed him and called him into, into apostleship for the Gentiles. Number two, you know, I... Christians will be hated by some in the world, and many will suffer for his name's sake. So, so don't be surprised by the irrational hatred that you find in the world for Bible-believing Christ followers. Don't be surprised by it. Jesus predicted, he said, you're going to be hated because of my namesake. If you are a lover of Jesus and you are unashamed and bold about the name of Jesus, you're going to hit some opposition. But it's God's way of also operating in our lives that causes us to completely rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit and also to be bold for Christ. Can I I just say this, everybody? Here's a thought the Lord gave me early this morning to share with you. Find your place in the kingdom of God and find your voice. I I wish you would write that down because I think this is a prophetic word for you this morning. Find your place and find your voice. The Lord wants to use you to witness boldly for the risen Jesus and advance the kingdom of God. Say it with me. Say it. Come on. Find your place. Find your voice. Here's the third thing. You're called to be more than a believer waiting for heaven. You're called to be a disciple-making disciple while on this earth. And that's why I'm saying find your place and find your voice. Because this is what God's called us to do. I'll let you finish writing that one down. I got one more. Are y'all ready? We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, stand to your feet. We need to be be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to accomplish the things God has called us to and we're going to confront the enemies of the cross, then we can't do it in our own strength. If God could use Philip and God could use Stephen and God could use the women that were scattered and the men that were running scared, then God can use all of us. I want to pray for you. I just want to close the service here today, and I just want to pray over you. First of all, I want to just say, if you're not right with God, I don't know what you're waiting on. Are you, are you waiting because you want to get strong enough to maybe overcome the sinfulness of your lifestyle? Well, don't kid yourself. You're never going to be there. 
You need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you with that. If you're waiting because you want others around you that, don't, that aren't serving God to approve, forget it. You'll never get the approval from other people that you need. You only need the approval of God. Maybe you're the point of the spear that drives into a household or into a community of relationships and God's waiting on you. If you feel like you need to wait until you get strong enough that you will be able to please God, well, he's already pleased with you. If you look at the Apostle Paul, I mean, I mean the risen Jesus went through an extraordinary um, process to appear to him and call him, and he hated the church, and he hated the name of Jesus, and he hated Christians. You don't have to earn his love. You already have it. And so if you need to get right with God, I just want you to pray a simple prayer with me right now. I want you to just ask the Lord to help you. All you have to do is say, Father, I need God in my life. And I've been rebellious and hesitant. Would you forgive me for all of my sin? Everything that separates me from you, would you forgive me? And would you receive me back into right relationship with you in Jesus' name? And when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, if you are there, I would encourage you to go back and listen to my teaching two weeks ago. But there's one thing I noticed, and we didn't study it today, but next week, I don't know if we'll cover it or not, but, but the Apostle Peter is preaching in a guy's house named Cornelius, who is a Roman. And while he's preaching the Word of God, the Holy Spirit just supernaturally, sovereignly, independently decided to come upon the people that were there. They were so hungry and so eager. Their hearts were like magnets to the Spirit of God. Can I just tell you that the most important thing for you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit or deepen your relationship with the Holy Spirit is to find a hunger for God. Because your indifference causes the Holy Spirit to be grieved. But your hunger... It draws the Spirit of God like a magnet. So let me pray over you. If you want to, lift your hands. If not, that's fine. But I want to pray for an increase of passionate hunger for the presence of God in our lives. As Sean said today, can we pray that we would say, God, what moves you? How can I love you? How can I please you? How can I serve you? How can I be closer to you? Lord, create in us a hunger for the things of God 
And lastly, give this church boldness to confront the works of evil in this day, I pray, God. In Jesus' name. Can you give the Lord a big ovation of praise for the Word of God? Oh, yes! Hey, I think there's some Stevens and some Phillips and maybe even some Saul of Tarsus is in here. Go after the kingdom of God, everybody. Come on, let's go advance the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. Have a great